This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Hi, this is Iana, Adeline, and Lija from the Padawan Report. And you're listening to the Scare Scuttlebutt Podcast. May the force be with you. Hi, I'm Dominic Pace, and that's the Scuttlebutt. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Scarif Scuttlebutt Podcast. As usual, you've got Team Scarif here getting ready to talk a little Star Wars. This is Ro from the Scarif Podcast. How are you, everybody? And across the stratosphere, the butt to my scuttle, you might be, uh, you might be getting tired of that, uh, no, <laughs> that I, phrase. No, I, I do love being your butt. Uh, <laughs> I, we look good in the mirror together. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, man, it is a, uh, it is, as I said uh, last week, it's a great time to be a Star Wars fan. We have so much going on right now. We have the Mandalorian out, which we're going to talk about on this episode. We got Star Wars Squadrons out, reading a couple of Star Wars books and uh, all kinds of news and rumors and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's, it, it's a good time, good time to be a Star Wars fan. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I I always say this. I wish I could. Uh, I wish I had the fortitude to read a lot more. I'm stuck on uh, a couple of older books, um, but um, yeah, you know, we got uh, we got some great stuff coming up. Uh, Project Luminous. Uh, some of the authors have been teasing uh, a lot of things uh, that they're you know doing for that. Um, and uh, what is that? The Empire Strikes Back from a certain point of view is is either out or it's coming out. People are starting to get their pre-orders. Uh, you know, Mandalorian Season 2. Um, what uh, what a way to start Season 2, eh? I mean, you, you couldn't start on a, on a better note than what they did. They, they knocked it out of the park. Uh, I think some people were uh, wondered if maybe we had the, the, the best shows behind us and you know, if they could recreate the magic or not. And I, I think they showed that they definitely could. Yeah, I think they, they stepped it up. I think, you know, from everything from the special effects to, uh, you know, doubling the story time, I, I, I think, uh, you know, we heard a rumor that uh, there were going to be, you know, a little longer than, than usual, about uh, 52 or 55 minutes, which is fantastic in my book. I love uh, the fact that they're a little longer uh, you know, half hour to me seemed a little too love boaty, a little too sitcommy uh, for me. And I think uh, an hour, or at least you know, close to that hour time frame, really uh, you know lets you flesh out a couple of things. And I think uh, I think they listened to the fans. Uh, we wanted more uh, within uh, each episode, and uh, they delivered. I think they've been listening to the fans on on, on a lot of key points, and, and I agree with you as far as the time. You know, it was yeah, fifty two minutes, but I didn't see any of those minutes being wasted uh, or, you know, just empty uh, airtime. Uh, I think every, every minute w- was worth it. And yeah, last year or last season, you know, 30, 40 minutes, you always wanted a little bit more from each one. Like, Oh, like how, how can it end right now? You kept, I kept pausing and seeing how, seeing how much time was left. I was like, there's no way this is about to end right now. Uh, and, and, and yet it did. So yeah, I'm, I, if they can, if they can keep putting out 52 minutes, Give or take, I, I'm on board for that. 
Yeah, and sometimes that's good. You know, they uh, leave you wanting more uh, with those uh, half hour, 30 minutes, uh, 30 minute episodes. Um, but, it, you know, I, I think they've proven themselves that they can tell a good story. Um, I think going forward uh, with everything that they have to accomplish, uh, there's a lot of there's been a lot of rumors out there in the Star Wars rumor mill. And I think, uh, you know, they've got uh, they got some, you know, uh, some cojones if uh, if all those rumors are going to come true. But they got to start, you know, uh, laying the dominoes down there to uh, to kind of uh, put it all together. But I'm looking forward to season two. I think uh, this first episode, if it tells you anything, you know, we've got our mission laid out. We uh, know what the Mandalorian has to do. Um, and, uh, a couple of, uh, nice surprises there. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to season two, the rest of it, season two anyways. So how many times have you watched it so far? I've seen it, uh, three times. I'm probably going to watch it again late, late tonight. Yep. We are, we are tied for that. Uh, three times, uh, see something new each time. Uh, like, uh, you know, Bantha's getting their teeth brushed and, and that sort of thing. So many details that they put in there. I guess one question's already answered. Some thought maybe he was going to go uh, return uh, the child or baby Yoda, whatever you wish, uh, to his species, which I don't think many of us thought, but uh, some did. And uh, they already answered that question. They're definitely referring to going back to the Jedi and not back to his species. So they. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to be pretty exciting. We'll. Uh try to see uh, who that Jedi is at the end of this journey. Um, but, uh, you know, who knows? I know um, I heard that they were already picked up for a season three. And obviously, you know, if this keeps going, uh, it can go, uh, you know, for a while. But uh, we'll see where the story goes. Uh, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm very excited. Let's uh, you want to talk a little Mandalorian? Let's get oh, into it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this thing starts off, I mean, the, uh, you know, we don't know uh, which planet they're on, you know, right away. But uh, anyway, the, you know, they did an amazing job with us building a Star Wars locale there with the graffiti. And uh, you mentioned the other night on our Scarif Live, um, as far as uh, action goes and how maybe you want to see a little action. You know, I was you know, watching it again and I think they may have packed as much action in that first five minutes as the Mandalorian. I mean, his, his fight scene there at the beginning, uh, I think is just as good as any fight scene that he had in season one. Yeah, it, uh, it was really good. It's, uh, I, I liked the kind of like the hand to hand combat. Uh, you can really, you know, flesh out his character as far as what, uh, what type of fighter he is. And, I got to love it. You know, when, when they show the child, when, uh, when they show him reacting to the, uh, Mando's wrist weapon and he knows what's about to happen. I love that little humor. I love that, uh, little quip that, uh, that the baby kind of, uh, you know, looks over and he's like, Oh, Oh damn it. I got to get inside. Cause something means about to happen. So th those, those little moments are great for, for the little guy. Oh yeah. And that's, you know, that's classic star Wars humor. You know, it's not, overbearing they're not trying to go over the top with it it's very simple uh you know if i was going to be a critic you know it's uh i'm surprised how many whistling birds he still has because the armorer did say that those were very rare so go uh use them sparingly she said that back in season one 
Sure. Apparently, he's still got plenty of them. So I don't know what she meant by their how how rare they are. He did have a lot of best guard to work with, I guess. But uh, yeah. yeah, I'm surprised he still got some to work with. Now I know um, you know one of our uh, Red Five family members uh, just uh, tweeted out uh, something that I guess he didn't notice. Uh, I know a lot of people are looking at that graffiti. You mentioned the graffiti uh, towards the beginning of that uh, episode. Um, I did, uh, you know, the first time I saw it, I'm like, oh, I, I need to scan this image real fast before it goes away. But uh, I, you know, I did see some snow troopers or clone troopers i definitely see uh saw something that looked like uh our favorite protocol droid uh c-3po in there somebody mentioned that uh, general grievous was in there as well um i'm gonna have to go back and pause it and kind of pick it apart did you see anything uh interesting that's worth mentioning no i think you nailed all the ones that i saw c-3po being the biggest one to stick out or if, you, if it's not c-3po it's a very close look like I'm, I'm sure it is um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I still need to go back and pause it and see everything in there. And I think they actually got somebody to design that, uh, you know, from scratch, which is pretty cool. And, uh, that level of care is, is what's going to make this, you know, this show watchable and rewatchable. That's true. That's true. So another, uh, I, I loved that, uh, town that they were in, uh, when he leaves, uh, what's his name hanging from the light post. And uh, he basically says, hey, you know, get me down. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to die. What was that line? He said uh, that wasn't part of my. Well, he said you won't die by my hand, you know, right. but, uh, you know, you know, you're, you're going to die, but I'm just yeah. not the one to kill you. But, uh, you know, he turned he uh, shot up that light and uh, you saw those eyes just kind of uh, start to approach him. And, uh, you, you know, it was dinner time. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's just good storytelling because you don't know what those things were, yeah. uh, but uh, you know they were hungry. <laughs> you could exactly hear them. And then, to me, that was a very Batman. Did you, did you get a Batman vibe on that one? Oh, definitely. He used yeah. Grappling hook and then yeah. and, you know tied them up. It was like that's that's a Batman maneuver right there. Definitely. Yeah. You know, I expected. Uh, I mentioned. I think also in the Scarif Live, or, or maybe even prior to that, when we saw the uh, the trailer, it was our trailer reaction video. Um, I thought that most of that action with the scout troopers and the troop transports and all that cool action stuff, I thought we were going to see that in the first uh, episode. I think uh, I was expecting to see, you know, some uh, Imperial interaction in, in this one. We didn't uh, spend a lot of time uh, with the crate Dragon, which was cool. But uh, I, I, you know, with, with this show, I really... I really love uh, going back to the Empire. Obviously, both of our hats, uh, you know, says <laughs> that we are uh, fans of the Empire. But it's, um, I, you know, I can't wait to see what happens um, with, uh, you know, the Imperial troops. I, I love that the last episode, you know, towards the last episode of the uh, first season, um, when, uh, you know, the troopers were just messing some shit up. And I, I really enjoyed that. So I'm looking forward to more, uh, empire because, you know, obviously this is a few years after return of the Jedi. Um, I'm really curious as to, you know, the power vacuum in, in this galaxy and, and, uh, that kind of stuff really intrigues me. Yeah. You know, I think the empires at this point turned into mostly warlords, uh, in the different sectors. And, you know, they call this chapter nine, but if, if this is the second book, you know, I think this is more like a, that, that episode seemed more like a prelude than it did a chapter. It just seemed like a, Hey, this is 
he's going to get going on this mission. To me, that seemed more like a prelude than a chapter one to this one. Uh, so I think that's why they deliberately did not show any empire. I think we're going to be building up to that. And uh, I think he's going to be plenty uh, harassed uh, by the empire once they start getting into the mix. The other thing that I can't wait for is, uh, you know, in the one of the trailers early on, we saw a couple of X-Wings chasing the um, the, the ship. And uh, really curious to find out, you know, who's in it. Uh, why are they chasing uh, Mando? And uh, you know, just all these all these callbacks, all these things that are familiar to us as Star Wars fans. Um, you want to talk about some of the uh, some of the callbacks in this first uh, episode? There was a lot of them, um, which uh, you know definitely made me feel like I was uh, watching a Star Wars. Um, but you know, the, the one really that comes to mind and, you know, you, you teased me about it early on, even before knowing that I hadn't seen it was, uh, R5D4 and I didn't get the connection. And obviously I think, uh, R5D4 was a very, very early image on, um, John, uh, uh, Favreau's, uh, Instagram. He had shown, uh, R5D4. Uh, he, I think, uh, it was even earlier than the uh, the maquette of the Gamorrean guard that we got to see uh, fighting in the in the boxing ring there, but uh, totally forgot that he was in it. And uh, you know, I think this time around, what's the um, Amy Sedaris's character's name? I can't remember the uh, ship. Uh, His mechanic. friend on Tatooine. Yeah, I, I knew you were gonna, and I meant to look it up right before we right before we uh, started recording. Now, that episode, the first time around when he landed on Tatooine and uh, the pit droids were around, I think that episode to me kind of uh, annoyed me a little bit. It was, uh, um, I don't know, I don't want to say it was over the top. It was a lot of uh, a lot of fan service, which I'm okay with, but I think I was at the cusp uh, of I that. I think she, uh, yeah, but I think she speaks for the viewer. I saw a lot of uh, sure, Twitter yeah. activity. Like she, mm-hmm. she is us. I mean, when, you know, when she says, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take this baby from you, whatever you want for it. <laughs> or if it has any offspring, if it buds or whatever she says. Um, but you know, there's, I love R5 because there's a story. I don't know if you read it. Uh, I can't remember which medium it was. It was either, I think it might've actually been a comic book, which suggested that R5 was actually a force user. This was from a few <laughs> years ago. And that's why he blew his motivator because he had a discussion with R2 while they were on the, um, basically on the selling line there with the Jawas, uh, R2 telling him that he had to, uh, he had a mission to complete, uh, and R5 blew his motivator on purpose. Yeah, I was gonna say, I like to think that R5 has a little more character than what most people realize. And I think that was from, uh, the initial, uh, book of, uh, a certain point of view. I think that yeah, was, was one of the, that. one of the stories. This time around, she didn't bother me as much. I don't know why. Um, I think they played her off a little bit more straight laced, uh, but, uh, you know how I have a problem with, uh, my, uh, humor in my sci-fi. Right, 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 right. <laughs> um, but you know, as far as, uh, reading and, and throwbacks, uh, anybody who read Chuck Wendig's aftermath series, um, knew from the title of chapter nine, uh, the Marshall, that it, this was not going to be fit that we saw him, uh, get this armor from. Uh, the uh, Cobb Vanth character that he encounters in Moss Pelgo. Uh, you know, he was a very, very minor character in the Chuck Wendig Aftermath series, only featured in the interludes. Actually, for anybody who hasn't read that, um, the most of the good stuff in those books comes in the interludes. The most, some of the most interesting 
little tidbits come from the interludes, not from the main storyline. The main storyline, in my opinion, is fairly boring and tedious. Uh, but there's really interesting little things that happen in, in the interludes. And one of them is Cobb Vanth. There was this guy walking around in Mandalorian armor that was, uh, you know, pop-marked and had acid burns on it and stuff like that. And uh, he ended up uh, being in charge of this town or being the, you know, protectorate of, of this town. Uh, as some people picked up uh, already, yeah, there are differences in the in the backstory that he tells, how he got the armor and, how, you know, how he came to be. Um, but it not not enough to matter. Um, it's still a clear shout out to the books. And as I told you on Scarif Live, I'm glad I'm glad finally I read those books for a reason. And one of the they would finally have some lasting meaning. One of the characters would be brought forward. And uh, Filoni and Favreau did that in the best way possible and made him a very likable character. So let me ask you this, because that was actually one of my questions that uh, you had asked me to formulate a couple of questions. And that was actually one of my questions that's related to that. I'm going to give you that question because it's definitely related to what you just said. So in Solo, a Star Wars story, we see the Pikes. We start to see and get uh, the inclusion of other Star Wars mediums, you know, other stories and characters in the main cinematic property. You also get a huge surprise at the end of Solo with the appearance of Maul, as you know. What are your thoughts on bringing stuff in like that, that uh, that maybe, you know, casual fans are, are not aware of? And I know, you know, the, obviously it draws from uh, the Chuck Wendig uh, novels, uh, this character uh, who picked up, uh, Boba Fett's armor, but uh, I just had a discussion with a work colleague of me of mine who uh, also wasn't familiar with the books, and I had to kind of explain to her, um, you know, what uh, what the little background was, and uh, asked her to you know pick up the aftermath series in order for her to uh, explain it to to her husband, um, as it so turns out. But do you think that is? a good thing for uh, the fans or does it hurt or help or does it confuse uh, casual fans? What do you think? I think um, it's kind of a double-edged sword and it, it, it depends on how they do it. I think that this one was done with, with the Marshall. I think this one was done much better than the inclusion of Maul at the end of Solo. Uh, now I love the inclusion of Maul. You know, I, you know, I, I had the, that geeky reaction when we saw the hologram pop up and you heard the, uh, Sam Whitworth's voice, uh, you know, I about fell out of my chair, but I knew that 90% of that, that audience, well, eh, probably a little bit lower than that, probably had no idea. Like they, they saw him die back in 1999. So I, I don't think they did that right. With this one here uh, with the Marshall, you didn't have to know that he was a character in the aftermath books for him to be a good character. He was just, you know, you had, you know, he, walked in with Boba Fett's armor. You didn't know whether or not this guy was Fett at the beginning, but you quickly find out he's not Fett. He's just some guy wearing Boba Fett's armor. You you knew that Boba Fett probably died back in Return of the Jedi, and he's just got his armor. So he's just a character. Uh, so you didn't need to have read the Aftermath series to enjoy this you know character. Um, but uh, I think... Uh, I don't know how much of a casual viewer is watching the Mandalorian. I think, um, I mean, yeah, I think the Mandalorian has done wonders for bringing in new star Wars fans, uh, you know, with baby Yoda, uh, people that aren't star Wars fans love baby Yoda. I think it's necessary for them to do that because I, I think it's a good business model for Disney. I don't think they should rely on them, but they definitely add to the story. 
Um, and uh, for, for those of us who do, you know, enjoy all the media, it, it makes it worth it for us. And, there, and there's a good bit of us, you know, that read the books, play the video games, read the comic books, watch the cartoons. There's a good bit of us out there. So I think it's I think it's a good business model for Disney to do that. And I think Favreau and Filoni are doing that in the right manner. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. You know, it, it's, uh, you know, it fans like us, I guess, uh, we tend to spend probably a little more on Star Wars with our disposable income. And I say that in quotes, obviously, uh, than uh, your casual fan that who, you know, who might go see a Star Wars movie when it comes out, you know, once every year and a half, whatever. Um, and then forget about it. I think, you know, we'll, we'll go see a Star Wars movie a couple different times. We'll understand that, uh, you know, we'll get a little bit more enrichment from the story if we go, you know, go pick up, uh, you know, the, the new Bounty Hunter series or the new Star Wars series uh, as far as comic books goes, uh, the novels that are out. So as far as enrichment within this galaxy when it comes to fan perception i think you're right i think uh you know lucasfilm is doing it the right way um because uh, you know we'll absorb it all like you you know you i've heard you say you're you're kind of a completist so you have to have like everything um related to this story in this galaxy far far away so um, it is a double-edged sword because, as as I said, I have you know sometimes I have to sit there and explain certain things to casual Star Wars fans, but I don't mind. I think it's a galaxy that uh, is is so vast that uh, you know you can't just contain it to one medium. You have to have all this stuff around to to kind of help tell the story, you know, from different perspectives, from different points of view. So, and, and Star Wars fans, you know, you can't. Even though they will insist on it, you can't have it both ways. Uh, you know, we've we've been critical about the sequel trilogy in the past, and one of those critiques of the sequel trilogy is a lack of use or um, the absence of original trilogy characters, and not having those, and having this brand new set of characters. Uh, and they were all calling for you know the old characters to be used or to be used more, and now they have a show like this where they are. Uh, making references to those characters, including those characters, having all these different locales in there. And now some say, hey, there's, you know, these should just be icing on the cake. Um, I, you know, we, we've talked about this before. I, I can't have too much icing on, on the cake. <laughs> uh, you know, um, you know, I can't, you know, we could probably have an episode where we just uh, counted how many references there were in that, um, how many Easter eggs there were in that episode. But, uh, you know, we talked about this with Matt Vader um, of the Salty Nerd podcast uh, on our Scarif Live. Um, he thought they should be used more sparingly. And I thought every single reference that they had in there worked. I, I don't think there was anything that was out of place. Uh, even Cobb Vance Speeder was Anakin Skywalker's engine from his pod racer. And uh, that is just amazing. I don't care how he got it. That, that that sort of thing does, of course, you know, nerdy me would someday love to find out how Cobb Vanth got Anakin Skywalker's engine, but I don't care. He's got it. It looks awesome. The design was cool. It was so amazing to hear that pod racer sound again. Uh, you know, turn that part up so you can hear the pod racer sound. Um, and like I said on, on Twitter, I'm ready for that to be a Black Series toy so I can go buy it and put it on the shelf. 
And uh, those, those are the kind of things that Disney needs to be focusing on. Damn you. I got to open up my wallet again. Definitely. I would, I would get one of those for sure. I mean, as, as nice as they made uh, Emphis Nest and, and her speeder, as nice as they made that look, um, if you put the same amount of work into Cobb Vanth and, and that speeder, holy cow, that would be amazing. Absolutely. 100% agree. So I, I like all the fan service. Uh, I think to me, it's just the right amount. I, as I said uh, on Scare of Live, I think it'll taper off a little bit as they get more into his particular story. Um, but, you know, you got to wrangle everybody back in for season two. And I think that's exactly what they were doing. Absolutely. I'm in. You know, again, talking about throwbacks, we had the crate dragon on this uh, episode and uh, the crate dragon uh, being a bit different than what we've seen in the past, uh, whether it be uh, in artwork or the stories or the KOTOR video games um, that so it, it was a bit different. But, uh, you know, the basic elements of the crate dragon were still there. So that was good to see as well. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't mind them updating a couple of things, you know, for this uh, show. Obviously, the technology is at its peak level. It's uh, state of the art. And, um, you know, I had noticed that, uh, you know, Alex over at the Salty Nerd podcast had uh, posted how, you know, incredible the Cray Dragon looked and how uh, awesome the special effects were. And, you know, getting back, you know, like like you had mentioned in Scarif Live, I mean, this is what George Lucas wanted to do. He wanted to do Star Wars for TV. And uh, we are living it, brother. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was a very, uh, I mean, some people might take this the wrong way. As far as uh, episodes go, you might actually call that a throwaway episode right off the bat. Sure. But yeah. if, if that is the level of a throwaway episode, the ones that are, you know, integral to the storyline are, are going to be on point and they're going to be, you know, unmissable. And again, I mentioned it on Scarif Live. I think the uh, the storyline for this episode was a little pedestrian for me, but it didn't uh, dissuade me from enjoying, you know, the spectacle of it. I mean, there, there was a lot there. You've had uh, sand people. You had this town. You had, you know, Boba Fett's armor and uh, incredible stuff. I, I'm really looking forward to, to what uh, what we didn't see. Yeah, I mean, we say that, and, and I agree. I mean, it was, you know, I, I agree with you then. It's not a it's not a deep storyline, to say the least. But at the same time, you got to see the conflict between the Sand People or the Tuscan Raiders uh, and, and the townsfolk there. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, don't realize the, the Sand People were there first. Um, so it was the, you know, the other folks that came afterwards, you know. Um, and it was nice to see that, you know, they had their divisions, but they came together to fight this crate dragon. So it, it was nice to see that they still had internal conflicts, but they were able to resolve those issues uh, for the, for the greater good and, and uh, you know, combine forces to take out the crate dragon. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, whatever happens in this episode, uh, you want to uh, skip to the end and talk a little bit about uh, that. Yeah. I mean, it, like we, you should have seen that coming or I should have seen that coming, but still didn't. Well, here's the funny thing. I mean, my son and I were watching it uh, that evening 
And I definitely, I, I, I totally forgot about the casting rumors of uh, Tamora Morrison. I was, it was like out here. I didn't, I didn't remember it. It wasn't on my mind as I was watching this. And that last shot when they were leaving, you know, when you saw the twin sons on Tatooine and then you saw this figured, this, uh, you know, mysteriously shadowed figure and then he turns around and it's him. Holy sh! Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we like should have known it was coming, but it, it just it, it blew us away. I'm like, oh, my God, do you know who that is? And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, I think they're going to. Actually, I don't know. I don't know how what percentage uh, involvement he's going to have with the second season. It may be more than what we originally thought. You know, his his quest is to was, you know, as he said from the get go, was to find a Mandalorian to help him, uh, you know, find track down the Jedi to return the child to his people. So if that if the Mandalorian that he's speaking of ends up being fed, um, and yes, I do believe that Boba Fett is a Mandalorian. I don't care what people say. Uh, clone, clone or not, I think he he's he's Mando. Um, if he is the one, you know that that Din Jaren is seeking out, he might have a bigger part than we originally suspected. You know, this kind of uh, harkens back to a notion that I have that uh, you know his inclusion in this series is going to make us take a look at the uh, prequel trilogy a little different. Um, he. Uh, you know the introduction of his character here is is nothing to sneeze at so we've got uh, whether boba fett is a mandalorian or not you know i think at this point he definitely might know where uh where the jedi are if uh if any survived at this point i think like you said you know din Djarin is going to approach boba fett and this is my prediction i guess and um they're going to you know they're going to find out where the rest of the Jedi are. And I don't know, at this point, is is Obi-Wan on this planet? Is Obi-Wan so on Tatooine? Not at this point, because this is five years after. Oh, that's right. right, right. So, yeah, Return but his, his, his hut is there. Um, as somebody, uh, uh, as uh, Lauren from the Galactic uh, Podcast um, right. mentioned the other night, uh, his hut is there. And in the comic books, Boba Fett knows where that hut is. So I, I think it's actually going to be Fett approaching Din Jaren, not the other way around, because yeah. I'm with you. I think he's probably still the better tracker. Um, and, uh, you know, even though Fett only got limited screen time in the original trilogy, if you put his character in universe, think about how much that guy would know. His dad was used as the basis for the clone army, which eventually was used for Order 66 to take out the Jedi. And then, of course, he was involved with every single bounty hunter out there after that. Um, so he knows a lot and he's been through a lot. You know, the storytelling possibilities because it's uh, Dave Filoni on this aspect alone of Boba Fett is mind boggling. Let me tell you, um, you're absolutely right. Uh, his connection to to everything uh, that we've seen before in the uh, in the prequels and uh, his connection to the clones, his connection to the Jedi uh I don't think people are talking about this enough. I don't think people uh, understand the severity, uh, the, the grandiose uh, uh, aspect of, of introducing this character in this TV show. Now, especially with, uh, with the child, uh, you know, being involved and, um, you know, trying to find more Jedi. Um, there, there's got to be something there. And um, like I said, this is really exciting. This is really exciting. 
Yep. I mean, he's one at this point in the game. He's one of the few people that has actually had actually had personal interaction, not only with the Jedi, but with the Sith. So he, he's going to be an integral character. Absolutely. Yeah. Looking forward to it. For, looking forward to it for sure. Now that you've uh, kind of laid it out like that and uh, very exciting. You know, we've got uh, Favreau and Filoni. Uh, on Scarif Live, somebody coined that uh, hashtag, uh, Favroni, I think it was. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's going to be exciting. Can't wait for, uh, you know, episode two to drop in a couple of days, uh, depending on when uh, let's release this. Uh, today is Tuesday, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be phenomenal. Yep, people are doing their countdowns to the next episode, and I don't blame them in the least. Excellent. Any last thoughts on the Mandalorian season two premiere? Uh, what a wallop we got as fans, huh? They, they knocked it out of the park. They got every element of a Star Wars story that we could hope for. And uh, if they're just setting the stage, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a good season. Definitely. Looking forward to episode two of the Mandalorian here on the scare of scuttlebutt podcast. This is Rowan Brad signing off. We'll catch you next time. And that's the Scuttlebutt. Greetings, listener. Just a reminder that the podcast you just heard is a proud member of the Red 5 Network family. Red5Network.com offers you a great variety of shows you'll be sure to love. So the next time you're itching for quality content, make sure you head over to Red5Network.com. You'll find this podcast along with a whole lot more. All wings report in. It's the Red 5 Network. Red 5 Network.